to golf better at Edwin Watts Golf. Episode 127. Hello everyone, my name is Tom Purcell and thanks so much for joining us. Whether this is your maiden voyage or you're a frequent flyer on the Starship Golf Better. Either way, your ticket's punched, you're gaining sky miles, and we're glad you're with us. And we have a special guest today. She joins us from Sherwood Country Club in Thousand Oaks, California, where she's a PGA Master Professional, the youngest ever on the women's side. We'll get into that later. It's almost like she got her driver's license when she was four when you hear these numbers. But taking time with us today out of her busy teaching schedule, Miss Allison Kurt. Allison, thanks so much for joining us. Great to have you. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Appreciate it. When you say excited to be here, you used to be not far from us here, right, in Tallahassee, Florida, when you played college golf. Yes. Oh, I miss Tallahassee. It was uh, it was a great four years being at Florida State and uh, holds a special place in my heart. And I totally city, and I can't wait to get back at some point and visit all my old friends. And and it was a great, great opportunity to be able to play for the team. And you got to be happy about that basketball team too, right? Oh, what a great! <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah, maybe maybe we'll be turned into a basketball school instead of a football. School. <laughs> we'll see. Allison, turn us back. You had to start this game somehow, somewhere. Most people started it like you when they were younger. Talk about how you got started in the game of golf. I started when I was about seven, and um, my father got me started into the game. I couldn't really play organized sports until the age of eight, and that was just kind of the the rule back in the 80s in the Midwest. The most organized sports didn't start until, you know, age eight or nine. And I was a little jealous that my brother um, was able to play on a baseball team, play on a basketball team, and I didn't really have a sport. And uh, I was kind of anxious to get into athletics. So my dad decided to put a golf club in my hand and take me out even though I wasn't allowed on the golf course until the age of eight. Um, and we would have our, our kind of our special time together to go play golf. And I just ended up being really good. It was a, a natural athletic move for me, and I really enjoyed spending the time with my father. And I also enjoyed seeing success and seeing myself, um, you know, hit that little white golf ball far and straight. So I kind of got hooked on it. Well, the commonalities we hear with people like you is, like you said, one, you can measure success, and two, even the, the ups and downs, they're all you. There's no teammates other than a, a golf team, but your own game, you're depending on yourself. Absolutely, and I didn't really experience the uh, golf as a team sport until college. Uh, my high school team was a little bit weaker than other teams in the um, in the area, but for college, it was not only did it count what I shot, but my other teammates were counting on me to pull in a good number as well. So I started to experience more of that. Golf is a team sport in that college dynamic. But then when we all graduated, it goes back to being 100% individual. And there's no one to blame except for yourself. <laughs> and uh, there's only one, one teammate, and that's myself. Well, you said competing four years at Florida State. Somewhere along the line, you decided that you wanted to make golf your career, if not playing it for a career, but being a, a professional in the business. Can you share with us a little bit about what was going on in your mind then and, and the steps you had to take to get where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. I kind of actually fell into the career. It wasn't my intention or plan to get into the golf industry unless I was playing. And I quickly realized how talented um a lot of my peers were in college, 
and how much of a struggle financially it was going to be in order to uh, make it to a tour level. So as I worked my way through college, I was actually focusing my efforts in the psychology field, and I finished my degree um, about two years too early. So I had two years left of eligibility and two years left of education. I needed to fill with something, and I kind of got pulled into the professional golf management program. So as I worked my way through that, I just sort of fell into the golf as a career industry sort of um, deal. It wasn't my intention. I didn't want to be a, a club pro or, or a big-time instructor when I was a little girl. I wanted to be a player. You know, I wanted to be in the next Monica Sorenstam. So I kind of fell into the golf industry and felt that I was really, really good at conveying ideas to uh, golfers as far as getting them to hit the ball better. And so I kind of just grasped onto that and felt that I had a better chance of success on the teaching end than I did on the playing end. And just kind of evolved from there. So once I got my Class A, um, finished most of it through Florida State, I just wanted to work my way over to California. I always wanted to come and visit the state. And one thing led to another. I ended up, you know, getting that Class A and just felt, well, should, might as well become a certified professional and might as well work my way to the master professional status. So one thing just kind of led to another um, as I got into uh, the teaching side. Well, the master professional status is only 348 out of 27,000 PGA professionals have it, and I believe 10 women, and I think you're the youngest by 20-some years. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, did you even think, think that going in? Absolutely. Once I started seeing the requirements uh, of how you can't even begin to work on the project or get into the program until you have eight years of industry experience or they cut four of it out uh, if you go to a PGM school, I thought, well, this has got to be kind of a little exclusive club. I started doing some research into it and noticed that there was very, very few females. Being a female into this male industry, um, I have to give myself every sort of advantage possible um, to enhance my career. So I knew that if I wanted to sort of make a difference, I was going to have to do it when I was young and, um, and, and be one of the you know, 10 females that have this, the highest credential. Allison Kurt joining us from Sherwood Country Club in Thousand Oaks, California. You're talking about exclusive group. You said the, the women on the master professional side, Sherwood Country Club, certainly that name speaks for itself. I'm sure some of your high-profile students that you have, they keep coming back and keep coming back. And Talk about some of those students and who, who, who they are and, and when they come to you, what they're, what they're looking for. Well, I'll tell you, even um, the people that we see in the movies, you know, our big-time celebrities, once they come on a lesson tee, they're the same as everybody else. They still have hooks and slices and, you know, not being able to control ball trajectory and all sorts of stuff. So once they get on the lesson tee, they're just like everybody else, you know, celebrity or not. And, you know, they're coming to me for help. So all their, all their credentials, all their backgrounds, that all disappears, and we're just merely working on their golf swing, trying to get them to have a better, better swing. Um, Sherwood is a pretty exclusive country club, uh, so I'm unable to name specific students. Um, there is a lot of public knowledge about who is a member at, at Sherwood, and I've had the blessed opportunity to be able to work with some of those um, amazing people out there. 
Well, Allison, when they come to you, are they like a lot of the golfers in the real world? They're looking for a quick fix when, all, when for all intents and purposes, this is an investment in time, an investment in repetition and doing the right thing the right way. I mean, I know everybody wants a quick fix, but it's not that easy. Definitely not. I would say majority of the students want to be able to fix 20 years of bad habits in 60 minutes of my time. And part of my job is to be able to convey to them that break down that paradigm that that's not going to happen. So you can either be unhappy because we weren't able to solve all your problems in 60 minutes, or you can start to change your, your mindset a little bit where we can make small steps, but it's going to take time. It's not um, a quick fix. I used to always use the analogy that if you want to lose 50 pounds, you're not going to do it one day in the gym. It's something that you're going to have to change your diet. You're going to have to go five, six days a week. There's things that you're going to have to change. Well, if you want to get your golf game better, there's things that are going to have to change in your mind. You're going to have to um, be acceptable with some of your misses. You're going to have to learn how to score better. Not everything comes from fixing your driver. I, I get that a lot. I can't hit my driver, so I, I, that's where I'm losing all my strokes. And, and most of the time it's not. Once we do a little interview um, as far as what's going on in their game, it's not always the driver that's causing them to lose all their shots. How about the short game? Do you dive into the short game a lot with your students? Absolutely, and I think I, I have to force almost a lot of them to understand that we need to work on the short game. And, and how I conduct my lessons is, is I'm, I'm kind of slick about it. Is we Not only do we attack what they've come to me uh, to address in their lesson, but I want to make sure that they can incorporate that change to all aspects of their game. So I make sure that they can do that with short irons, with putting, with a short, um, with a short game. So I kind of make sure that they get a taste of needing to work on their short game. And then in the end, they end up coming back to me saying, well, you know, because of that chipping lesson or because of that pitching lesson, I was able to save three or four shots this, you know, this particular round. So we put a lot of emphasis on the short game. Most people don't sign up for short game lessons, but in the end, I, I tend to, uh, to get them to work on it. You probably highly encourage, if not mandate to your students as well, to document what they're doing, correct? Absolutely. It's a, it's a way of feedback to get back to me how, how they're improving. Um, I like to have the data of what they're doing as far as how many fairways are they hitting, how many greens are they hitting, where are they missing, right, left, long, short, how many putts they're doing. So I sort of train my students to be able to document that data while they're on the golf course without interfering with their game. So that when they come back to me during the next lesson, we're able to see hardcore numbers, what they're doing. It's a less subjective view of, of their improvement and um, a more scientific view of their improvement. How about training aids? There are so many different ones out there. I've just seen watching Michael Breed on the Golf Fix putting a bag out there or somebody else putting some alignment sticks. Do you get into a lot of that with your students and things that can help them see the line better or feel their plane better? use my fear of training aids to help the student learn what we're trying to do. I think it's important to decide what kind of learner the student is before engaging in the use of a training aid. If they're not a visual learner, then I'm not going to enact any sort of technology sort of use. If they're more of an audio learner or a kinesthetic learner, then I'm going to taper my, um, 
my lessons to work with the way that they learned best. As far as training is, I think it's fun to kind of use simple household items more than investing 100 or $200 in the training aid that you see on TV because then it's a lot easier for them to practice that motion that I'm asking them to do or practice using the training aid when it only costs, you know, a couple dollars from the grocery store or the hardware store. So I like to be able to use fun training aids that make sense that also go in line with the way that the student learns that. And you know the thing that it seems like everybody has these days, it used to be a huge luxury, but everybody today has some kind of video camera of some sort. But it seems like most golfers are scared to watch their own swing. you see that as well? Absolutely. You know, with the use of smartphones or the iPad, you know, you can cut down on that four or $5,000 camera system and just buy the app on, you know, from Apple, that 499 app. And it's super helpful if you know how to use it correctly. But the first time I pull up a swing with a student, it's more like, oh, I'm never going to wear that pair of shorts again, or I don't look good from that angle. <laughs> and it's like, no, we're trying here to look at the swing, not looking at your uh, at your gym routine. But it is kind of it is fun to see a student who's never seen their golf swing on video before. Um, it's quite an eye opener for them to see the instantaneous feedback. It's almost like hearing yourself on tape the first time. You say, that's not me. <laughs> you watch your swing and say, no, I don't do that. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, here's proof. Here's scientific proof. <laughs> oh, Allison, thanks. We, we enjoy taking time with you today. Last question, because I know you're busy. There's so many things out there, that advice you could give students on grip, alignment, fitness, anything. If you could give, share a couple of pieces of advice with our listeners on what they can do to get better long-term, what would it be? I think the first step is matching up with um, a qualified PGA professional and sticking with that individual through all the changes. Too often I see people sort of cherry-pick instructors until they get someone that tells them what they want to hear. And it's important that if you stick with someone in the long run um, that they're actually going to get get better. So having a qualified PGA professional um, to alliance with to work on your game, I think is key. Number two, technique-wise, before we even get into all the swing techniques, having proper fundamentals sounds so easy, but it is, it's a tough part, and it's a great starting point to just work on what I like to call gap, grip, alignment, posture. And if you can master those three um, basic fundamentals, your, your swing is going to be a little bit more natural and you're going to have more consistency in your swing. Even the pros, the first thing they look at when they have a bad round or they're not hitting it well, what's my grip like? Am I aligned up properly? Am I in the right posture? And so I don't see why that should be any different for uh, beginners and amateurs, making sure that we have the right grip that returns the club face to the most square position, the most offense making sure that we're aligned up correctly for the particular ball shot that we're trying to hit. And having an athletic posture is just going to be those three keys that we want to master before we even start getting into any sort of um, swing material. You know, we interviewed Ken Venturi last year, and I remember him saying this long, long before you were born when I was watching him on Golf Club TV. Good players don't get out of swing. They get out of alignment. And that's exactly what you're saying. The first thing you look at is fundamentals. And like you said, get somebody that – 
not necessarily telling you what you want to hear, but somebody that you can trust is going to help build that long-term plan to make you better. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's key. Allison, thanks so much. This has been a great interview. We've enjoyed having you, and uh, best of luck to you and, and everybody out at Sherwood this year, and hopefully we can do it again sometime. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's been great talking with you. Same here. Take care. That was great. Thanks so much, Allison. Great having you on, and uh, some great advice. Obviously, find a teacher you can work with, and don't expect quick results in the short term. It's, uh, it's not a sprint getting better in golf. It, it's a marathon. Hey, there's so much going on right now in golf and at Edwin Watts Golf. You don't want to miss out. Visit our website, edwinwattsgolf.com. So many specials, so many new products coming out. Sign up for our emails. It just takes a minute to sign up, and you'll be getting emails that are pertinent not only to Edwin Watts Golf, but to you and your area if we have store events that are happening. Also, remember, social media. Like us on Facebook. There's a lot going on, a lot of interaction between golfers and us on our Facebook site. And also you can follow us on Twitter. And of course, to catch the latest episode of Golf Better, register on iTunes. It's a free download on iTunes, the Golf Better podcast that you're listening to now and all past episodes. Subscribe on iTunes. Also on Golf Better, there's always something you can register to win. Go to the Golf Better page on edwinwattsgolf.com. Click on the register to win prize icon. Fill out that information that we ask of you, and your name will be submitted for a chance to win the prize of that week. Well, thanks again to Allison Kurt out at Sherwood Country Club in California, and thanks again to you, our listeners, for taking time out and listening to us. And join us next time when we have another episode of Golf Better at edwinwattsgolf.com. So long, everyone.